I just want to recap a few things from last week because I'd like to continue. Some of you were here and some were not. But I did want to continue on uh, what we're talking about last time. So I had brought up the uh, the idea that uh, in the traditional original or classic Buddhist teachings, there's this idea of uh, reaching or attaining enlightenment, which is known as nirvana in the Sanskrit language or nibbana in the Pali language. And I had uh, said that some people here may have some have heard of that or have some idea in their own lives about that's something that they think about or wanting to achieve or attain. And then I also said that um, in a group this size, I'm sure there are lots of people here who don't particularly think that way, that, that, that enlightenment or nirvana or whatever idea you have there just may not be part of your thought process. And it's not a right or wrong, but it's just we, we all come to these teachings and practices for a whole variety, of, a whole range of reasons and what we want out of it and goals. And I'd also said that I don't think at all in terms of nirvana. It doesn't come up in my mind at all. I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't. The Buddha was very, uh, there's no question, was very clear about this, I, this idea. But I was just saying for me, it just happens... Uh, happens that that's just the way it works for me. Um, don't think about it. Uh, but what I mentioned that I am very interested in, and I would say really is the most important thing in my whole life, is I'm very interested in living and thinking and acting and being in a way that leads me to be as... Uh, I'll use some words that we'll explain more about them later, but as awake as I can be, as really as enlightened as I can be, as uh, free as I can be, um, as wise as I can be, as free from clinging as I can be, as loving and compassionate as I can be. And we could add a whole bunch more adjectives in there. That's something that I take very, very seriously, and I would say it's really uh, the the motivation or intention for my whole life. And that may be true for many people in here. I'm not saying I don't get caught up in other things or that I don't have other things that, that, that are of importance to me through the course of my day or my life. But on the deepest level, if you want to say on the highest level, that's really what, for me, my whole life's about. And um, again, I want to be really clear. I'm not suggesting that anybody here should think in those terms, but um, I just was putting that out uh, with the idea that... Um, I think I think you could say this could be argued what I'm about to say, but I, I think you could say that if you are living and acting in ways that that they're trying to head in those directions of, about being as awake and as lightened and as loving and as wise and as free as you can be, you're actually doing all the things that the Buddha was talking about, whether you have some idea of nirvana or not. For me, when I, uh, it's, I'm really interested in how the quality that I'm bringing actually moment to moment into my life. So it's just, we were just talking like that last time. And, you know, um, and I was suggesting that, uh, you know, I think those are important qualities and that I uh, put it out there for, for everyone who was there to reflect to see what your life is about in the deepest or highest sense. What's it really all about? What do you want your life to be about? What's most important to you? And you may have your own list, but I'll bet for other people you may use your own words, but it would be for many people there are some of those kind of, uh, I'd call them Dharma qualities, if you will. Again, there may be people who, and some people may want to share in here later. Maybe that's not what you're signed up for. That's fine, too. I'm not putting a judgment on it. However, I have to say that, you know, uh, we are in a, this is IMC, Insight Meditation Center. So by definition, you've come to a place that it's about something in particular. So I was making an assumption that everybody here, at least on some level, thinks that uh, these, what I'm calling Dharma qualities, are at least a good idea. You know, because that's what this place is about, right? It's not about um, 
all the things that can be. I think I got a laugh last time. I was saying, you know, we're not the, you know, mid peninsula, you know, um, kennel club or we're not the, you know, lawn bowling association. Or, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, there's so many things and those are all fine things. But this is about something in particular. So I'm assuming everybody uh, is at least thinks that there's something here that that's a good idea about that. So assuming that we're going to sign up for, yes, I think these, it's a good idea to cultivate these qualities in, in ourselves, in myself. Then I'm suggesting that all of us, I'm including myself, everyone here in the room, um, even though I don't know anyone here very well, there's some people here I've known a long time, but um, I don't know anyone here really well, intimately we all need help. We can all look into our lives and see areas in which, you know, things are going well and we're kind of on top of things and we've kind of got our act together and we, we're, it's working. And then we all have areas where it ain't working. We're bumping our head up against the wall. It's the same old thing. We're getting caught in the same types of suffering and same areas in our lives. And there'll be a mix for all of us. Right? And some of us may have a lot more areas of suffering and others may be in a phase in life or maybe not so much. But we all have the happiness and the joy of at least hopefully we've all experienced some. And we've also all experienced the suffering. It's a mix. So as we're going to head forward, um, we could use, you know, some tips or some guidance or some help. And that's kind of where I think we kind of left things last week. And so I, I was saying that really... I would say then everything we're talking about then are what we might call skillful means. Guidance. That's really what the Buddha was about, is to help us in what, what can we do? We all have a good intention. We all want to be free from suffering. I know that's true. And I am making an assumption. I, I say, well, we all want to be as awake and free as possible and as loving and compassionate as possible. I'm, you know, So I'm kind of uh, making a... A little bit of a step there for uh, assumption for everyone. And we still see that um, it's not always so easy, right? So we could use some help. So then what I wanted to talk about uh, tonight and the next week is, uh, so what what are we going to do? How can we start applying some of the teachings in ways uh that could help us move in those, what I call, wholesome directions. And I had something in mind for this week that I, I don't remember if I mentioned it last week, but I'm going to put it off to next week because I, I got an email that I thought was interesting and I wanted to use it uh, to talk about. Uh, I just got this this week. I was teaching in San Francisco and um, after my talk, somebody, uh, I'm not sure how he got my email, but he sent me an email and uh, I thought it was very interesting what he had to say. We had a little correspondence back and forth. I thought it was quite uh, uh, interesting conversation he and I had. So I want to read you just a little bit of his message and then talk about a few of the things here. Before I do, I have to qualify one thing so that hopefully I uh, don't want to get anyone triggered by one piece of this. Is I used a political example. Um, and so um, he refers to it here. And so my politics happen to be pretty liberal. And one of the things I was sharing about is um, some of the issues I'd had with our current administration and with President Bush and how some of the things were difficult with me around that. So because that's going to get mentioned here, I just want to preface everything by saying, and I said this to the group in San Francisco too, my point is not, I'm not trying to make a political point here about politics at all. And um, you know, I don't want to make an assumption that we all have the same politics. So um, the point is not you know, the, my political view, and if you happen to be more conservative politically, that you could substitute, when, I'm t- when here it talks about President Bush, just substitute in, you know, Clinton or something, whatever, or some liberal politician, and then the analogy completely works. And I just want to, that's the point. It's not the politics. It's just, just find, make the analogy work for you is the important thing. So, um, and it's fine if we don't have to all have the same politics, right? We could be, this, again, it's not the mid-peninsula uh, political discussion group night either. It's a Dharma group. So, 
So let me just read a little of this. He says, uh, hi, Richard. I've had a question since attending your talk last Sunday night in San Francisco. Um, I struggled a bit with what you said about President Bush and your intention to make room for him in your heart, despite at times your intense dislike for him, of him and his policies. Uh, I, uh, just a moment. I mean, I came away feeling that maybe you had sent a message unintended that we, quote, should, unquote, not feel animosity or anger towards Bush. That acceptance through understanding, quote, should be, unquote, the response if one is truly a Buddhist. It was almost as if you were censoring your more un-Buddhist feelings and values. I wondered where authenticity fits into a person's feelings and realizations about the many damaging things happening in the world. I guess I, that I would make a distinction between the person I don't like and their behavior or actions. Um, I would uh, just want, okay. I would worry if the truly compassionate people turned passive in response to Bush and the policies of his administration because those people wanted to meet certain spiritual standards, accepting change is inevitable, etc. To try to feel differently would seem to create inner conflict, tension, contradiction, etc. On one level, and it seems to make it seems to make Zen a belief system to adhere to, and less a. Pro- Sorry, this isn't very clear. I think given the chance you would not recommend trying, quote, unquote, to be compassionate and didn't intend to send a message, that message. Okay. So I thought that was interesting. And there's a couple of things there that I think are of particular interest that I wanted to uh, bring up. And I think it ties into what we were talking about last week. Um, so I had used an example um, where, of... Um, especially in the early days of um, when Bush was elected in 2000. And people who know me, I used to go around saying, you know, I kind of get worked up sometimes. If Bush gets elected, I'm going to just die. You know, I'm going to physically die. And he got elected. I didn't die. And, and then in 04, it was, I was really having struggled then. And, um, and I had shared in San Francisco that I have an intention, a sincere intention. And I don't remember if I mentioned this last week, but um, I have an intention to live in a way in which no beings, no living beings are ever shut out of my heart. That's, a, that's an aspir- I'll say it's an aspiration I have. And that's a real aspiration that I take very seriously, to live in a way that no being is ever shut out of my heart. And it kind of goes back to that list I rattle off of how can I live in a way to be as awake as possible, as mindful, as free, as enlightened as possible, as wise as possible, as loving, as compassionate as possible. And so, of course, um, by definition, for all of us, until we're... mm, how do you say it? Until we're Buddhas ourselves, if you will. By definition, there are places in us that aren't yet fully free and awake and enlightened and loving and compassionate. There's going to be some places where we get caught. So the question is, how do we work with that? So um, my whole point is, it wasn't that I was supposed to feel any way or not any way around in this example with, with President Bush, but you can pick any example in your life. But what do I do when these things come up? How do I work with them that they come up? Because it's really easy to, when we have strong feelings or there's a lot of energy behind something. It's very easy. It, it, it actually colors our perception, right? So, you know, it really, Bush really seems to be an idiot, for example, or, or I, I don't know, whatever your thing, or... I, I, but whatever, you know, or, you know, he's like, you know, there's evil people in the White House or whatever. I mean, it really seems that way. But there are other people who are looking at the exact same set of circumstances and people and saying, you know, finally, we've got some people who are putting us on the right track. There's plenty of people like that. Right. And who think people like me are crazy. So which one is right? Right? Which one is right? 
I have my opinions about which one is right, but, but, for the, but, but for the point I'm trying to make here is that our perceptions get colored and we take our perceptions for reality and we get caught up in it. We don't realize it's just a perception that I'm having. And so um, it, when we start to, to try to live in a way that's more awake, we can just know the first step is it's part of our basic mindfulness practice to know, oh, there's a lot of aversion here or maybe even hatred or whatever that is. And then rather than just tumble down that road and be caught up in it, I have to bump everything up against what's my deepest intention. Right. So. And I'm grumbling like, well, I don't want to love President Bush because he's this and he's that. So I was talking with a friend. This was just before the 04 election. I just said, what am I going to do? I've got to find some kind of equanimity. I'm completely out of balance. I'm suffering and I just can't get free. And he suggested I have a little altar at home where I meditate. It's got a little Buddha statue. It's kind of, you know, like we have them here, a little thing. He said, well, uh, my suggestion is, is to um, uh, put a picture of President Bush on your altar uh, when you're meditating. And it was just like, oh, I, I, it's just too much. But I had to face, um, what's my aspiration? Not just when I feel like it. I took this aspiration. I didn't realize what I was signing up for. No living beings ever put out of my heart. Okay, let's see. Bush. Yep. Living being. Okay. What am I going to do? So put the president picture of Bush on the altar. And that was the most I was willing to do for a while. The interesting thing is, though, how do we work with these with our edges? Um, I don't want to say that we should feel anything. And I didn't say that. I actually don't like the word should. But I want to be careful. Actually, I do like it in certain circumstances because I really do want to say in kind of a healthy sense, I do think people should be as kind as they can. And I do think people should be loving and compassionate. And people should treat each other well. And there's a lot of things where I would, I think, to be honest, and, you know, we'll have some time if some of you disagree with that, where we can talk about it. I, I think I would use the word should. I would. Where I wouldn't use the word should is what I call in the unhelpful or maybe unskillful way, which is kind of a judgment, you know, where we really start to, it's, it's, that, it's where we, we're really hard on ourselves and judging on ourselves. Wow, I'm supposed to feel this way and I don't. We're beating ourselves up and we're tearing ourselves down and we don't have that love and compassion for ourselves. That's where I would take the should out. In any moment, you have whatever experience you have. There's no should about it. It just is what it is. The only question is, how do we move forward? Right? So, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that, you know, I've never had any difficult feelings for President Bush. I'm not, it's not true. There are two pieces there. One is it would be nice to kind of um, clear out the, the reactive places in me where the difficult feelings never arise in the first place. I don't know if that's humanly possible. I haven't gotten to that where... You know, I never have any difficult reactions to anything. I don't personally know anyone who's gotten to that point, even some of the teachers that that I've worked with who I respect tremendously. At least the ones who are willing to share uh, about themselves and others I, I can't comment on. So I'm not I don't know for some of them. So that's one whole piece of 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 of. Um, strengthening our wisdom and our compassion so that the reactive places uh, come up for us less and less. And there are some of the great masters. Uh, some of you know uh, a great Thai meditation master. If you've ever met him, he's just very inspiring. Ajahn Jumnian, who comes around the Bay Area at least once a year. And um, I believe him when he says uh, he's never had a, 
uh, an angry thought for 25 years. So um, when you're around him, you get that about him. You know, I believe that's probably true when he says that. He's probably not capable of telling an untruth either. So it may be that it's possible, uh, you know, to attain some of these kind of states of being. In the meantime, we take what we get. One piece is freeing up the reactive mind. I'm not going to get into that too much tonight, but that's a whole piece. And the second is, um, which really goes hand in hand with, with the first piece, is when there is a reactive mind, what are we going to do with it? And I had suggested last week that, um, and I have to also give a disclaimer here again for those of you who weren't here last week, that uh, uh, kind of traditionally in, in Buddhist teachings, it's considered that what's called sila, S-I-L-A, in the Pali language, which is the morality piece, is kind of considered the foundation. That before we go off and do all this fancy meditation and all these practices, that um, it's important to start from a place of uh, non-harming, you know, this, these precepts we live by. Non-harming, not stealing, being wise and skillful around our sexuality, uh, wise speech. It's really the foundations of how we act and show up in the world. That's kind of the morality piece, if I can use that word. It's like that word can be reactive for people, too. That's kind of considered foundational. And then from that, we also add on wisdom practices and concentration practices and all these other things we do. And so I, and once this is the, the disclaimer, this is just me speaking. I don't know that, I don't, I'm not aware of the Buddha speaking this way. It's just my own take is, is that there's actually something more foundational than the sila, than the morality. And that's uh, self-compassion. So I like to teach that the starting point for anything, even before you take on the, mora- the sila piece, is compassion for ourselves. Knowing that despite our best intentions, you know, we're still going to get ourselves into trouble. We're still going to fall on our face sometimes. We're not going to do it perfectly. And, and even when we take on the, 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 the seal of the morality and we say, you know, I do want to start to live in a way with less harming and not taking that which doesn't belong to me, non-stealing and being wise around sexuality, not causing harm and suffering with it because, you know, it's such a powerful energy and it can create a lot of trouble, as we all know. And using speech in a way that's right speech. There's a whole thing we could talk about what's right speech. Non-harming speech. Being wise and careful around intoxicants that can cloud the mind and get us into trouble. You know, you can approach that in a way that can, that, in, that can be very unwholesome. In the sense that we can really beat ourselves up for the ways that we fall short. Judging ourselves. Tearing ourselves down. So, even when we approach that, I think the place of compassion for ourselves is the beginning. And we don't have to be so good about it. And we're not going to get it just right. right? But it's just taking on an aspiration or an intention of, of self-compassion. Maybe the best we can do is it just seems like, boy, I'd like to be able to do that. It seems like a good idea. I wish I could do more. And then we just start to do the best like we can. And for some of us, it, we may be, it, just by doing that, we may start to realize, wow, I'm really rough on myself. My mind says things to myself that I would never say to another person. That's true for lots of people. You know, who can just be, you know, their minds can be vicious towards themselves. Right? And then they can beat themselves up because they beat themselves up. I mean, it just goes on and on. We need a lot of compassion for ourselves. That may not be true for everyone. I'm just saying it can be like that. I've talked to many people who who deal with that. It's a lot of suffering. By the way, if that is true for you, I would just like to suggest that your mind, just as a little aside here, is the least qualified to judge you. (laughs) And I'm not, I mean, I'm trying to be a little humorous, but I actually wasn't trying to go for laugh there. You know why? You're too close to it. You're caught up in it. You're, you can't always see. Hopefully, sometimes you can see clearly. But you can't always see yourself clearly because we're too close into it. And so a lot of times, you know, we're really hard on ourselves for ways that um, 
you know, if it was your best friend or someone you cared about or loved, you would say to them, well, yeah, okay, you know, you got a little like this or you got a little angry. But, you know, gosh, don't be so hard on yourself. Give yourself a break. You know, you're a good person. Just, just don't beat yourself up so much, right? But it's not always so easy to do the same thing for ourselves. So I think this self-compassion piece is a really big deal. If we start from the place of self-compassion, it doesn't necessarily, it shouldn't lead to complacency. I'm not saying we, you know, we get into this place of self-acceptance where we say, well, this is how I am. And, and, we don't, and we stop and we don't try to move forward in a wholesome sense. I'm suggesting that we do want to uh, move in a positive direction. We do want to clear out the hateful, reactive parts, what in Buddhism would be called greed, hatred, and delusion. Some of you have heard that. For some of you, it might be a new term. I won't spend much time on it tonight. That'd be a whole talk. If you stick around here enough, you'll hear talks on that topic, an important topic. Right? The forces that cloud the mind, the forces that just get us caught up in things and be reactive instead of being awake and enlightened and free and open with quiet minds and open hearts. That's the greed, hatred, and the delusion. Right? We don't want to just sit back and stay caught in these same patterns because that's what's creating all the suffering for us. So, yes, we want to move forward and try to free the mind for these things as much as we can. And there's lots of practices. We have meditation practices and we reflect on these topics like Dharma talks and many, many different types of practices. But we don't want to move forward out of aversion to where we're at or out of aversion to ourselves. Right? Like, oh, I'm really messed up and this isn't okay and I've got to get here because this isn't okay. That's where the should comes in. So it's a real difference, going back to the, to the example here, it's a real difference between, on the one hand, feeling like I've got to shove down these feelings, it's not okay to have these feelings, like using my George Bush analogy, or you're using your Clinton or whatever. Right? It's not okay to have these feelings. That's really, to me, the flip side of being totally identified with them and saying, oh, of course I have these feelings and of course I'm full of hate and anger. And, you know, we're still caught in some way. So it's, it's but what, it, that's real different than, on the other hand, just to acknowledge, wow, I've, I've really got a lot of, I'm using the word hatred generically. I don't, that might be a little extreme, but I'm just going to use that term. Wow, I've got a lot of hatred in the heart towards this person. This is not the kind of person I want to be. This isn't my aspiration. I want to take action. I want to be involved. I want to try and change things. But it doesn't, you know, I don't have to, having love in my heart doesn't mean I turn into a passive blob. And that actually ties into uh, another a point that he made here that I also want to make that I think is very important. Um, but I would worry if the truly compassionate people turned passive in response to Bush and the pol- excuse me and the policies of his administration, because those people wanted to meet certain spiritual standards, accepting change is inevitable, etc. So one thing that's very important, actually cru- crucially important. Uh, is that equanimity is not the same as passivity. Equanimity is not indifference. It's not numbness. And it's, right? It's not passivity. And love and compassion are not either. Equanimity is the quality, it actually brings, I would, it's talked about in many different ways, but I would say it brings two, two aspects together, synthesizes them. One is being completely very awake and present and aware of what's going on and feeling everything. We don't shut anything away. We really feel what's going on and right along with it, we're not shaken up by it. We, we don't lose our center. 
So it really points to the sort of two ways that there are of being peaceful. One way of being peaceful is to be very calm and, and still, right? And all the difficult, agitated type mind states just don't come up for us. And then you're peaceful. And that's important, actually, in Buddhist meditation. It, that's a big piece of the meditation. I don't know if it gets talked about that much, but even if you're not aware of it, it happens through these mindfulness practices. We learn how to chill out, cool out, settle down. That's one kind of peaceful. And then there's a second kind that's also very important and actually is, is a, even a deeper kind of peace, which is we, don't, we may not be feeling chilled out. There may be a lot going on, but underneath all of that is the place that rests at peace in the midst of everything. Right? So the full expression of our being is arising, passing away. It's all happening. And we rest at peace in that. And that would include, if, if I was in a space like that, even equanimity around um, having these difficulties that come up, say, in, my, in, the, in the political example. Be able to go, okay, this is happening. You feel it. It's unpleasant. Right? Hatred in the heart is unpleasant. I don't want to have it. The important point is, if we are caught up in things, which on, we're what I call being on automatic pilot, which is how most of us probably live most of our lives, just kind of how it is for most of us, you're just reactive to things. You actually can't make choice in how you respond. The way you react may not be a problem. It's just going to depend on how, how your mind is habituated or conditioned. But what will happen is something will happen, you know, like me. I'll see a photograph of Bush. If I'm not aware of what's happening, and this is all old. Now, you know, I'm just all love, love, love when I see him. But <laughs> it couldn't happen when, it, when his approval ratings like dipped into 28%. I, I felt sorry for the guy, you know. I couldn't help it. So, so. You know. But back in the days when I wasn't so advanced as I, as I am now, <laughs> I just had to see a picture of him. My stomach just went in a knot. I just saw his picture, just smiling, you know. Stomach going in a knot. If I'm not aware of what was going on, I'm just reactive, I'm just caught up in it. When I, it's a big shift to just know what's happening and then rather than I can act rather than react, I have some freedom and choice on how to move forward, both in terms of what I do with these difficult states of the mind and heart and how I can get myself more free from them, and in terms of how I choose to act in the world. Likewise, when we're making any action in the world, if we've got equanimity and we've got love and compassion... My experience is, and I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but my experience is rather than becoming more passive, we are naturally more engaged. You're naturally drawn into to connect more and to try to make a difference in whatever ways. It doesn't mean we have to go join some organization. It may just be in the way we work with our families or our coworkers or our neighbors or whatever. Right? Because we're able to see things more clearly rather than being reactive. We're seeing things much more clearly and our hearts are more open in love and compassion and we're naturally moved to want to take it, to do something. And we're able to make more wise and skillful choices because we're not reactive. And so we can actually have some, some space there. So someone asked me the question, I was in San Francisco, the same group, and I, raised his hand, he says, well, you know, and he raised some situation, was asking me, so what's, what's the wise skillful thing to do. What I said to him was, I said, you know, I, I can't answer. I, I don't know the answer for you that's wise and skillful. I, I can't say that for you. But what I do know is, and I really don't mean this as kind of a cop out from trying to give a real answer. I think the real answer, I, I truly feel the real answer is to the extent that that person and each of us are more awake in other words, we're more aware, we're more mindful, we're more steady, less reactive, all of these things. We're going to at least have a better chance to make a wise choice in whatever we do. Right? Rather than just be caught up in it and react. At least we have a better chance. And then 
we make the best choice we can. Right? In the future, looking back, it may or may not have turned out to be the most wise thing, but all we have is, is the tools that we have available to us in the moment. And we see things the best we can. And we, we don't. the good news is you don't have to be more awake than you are or loving or compassionate or enlightened or any of that than you are. You can just start right where you're at. And that includes if anyone here, even if you really don't think you have any of those qualities very much at all. I mean, if you really just think, you know, I'm, that's, that's, he's not talking to me. I actually am uh, talking to you. And it is literally true, and I'm speaking not from a belief or what I've read in a book. I'm telling you from my direct experience. And I know there are other people here who can, too, uh, talk from direct experience. It's literally true that as you direct your mind in whatever ways, those are the qualities that are going to strengthen in you. And so if you come here, for example, to meditate, and we gave just a real very quick um, instructions on using the breath. We could have spent a lot more time talking about it, but it's just bare bones. And if all you got was, you know, three breaths and then 15 minutes later you woke up and realized you've been off daydreaming and then you go, oh, I'm supposed to be back and you got three more breaths and gone until the bell rang. That's actually enough. Because you don't have to be more present than you are. You don't have to be better than than you are. It was the only thing that was important is how did you use the time when you were back, even for those few seconds, when you are awake and present, how do we use the time? It's a good thing that, that the universe seems to work that way because if it depended on us using the majority of the time when we're just lost on automatic pilot, we're in big trouble because you, you don't even know you're gone. You're just gone. You're just caught up in it. You can't make any choices during those times. It's only when you're aware in the moment. So it really does work. And so that's the good news that we, that's the, that we can start just from where we're at. And it really does strengthen and deepen. And naturally, the place of being uh, less reactive, more loving, more compassionate, more awake, more present, less of the time on automatic pilot. And when we are on automatic pilot, we're less deeply lost in it. That grows and deepens over time. And that stream of Dharma starts to wake up and actually carry. And I know there are many of you who, who can attest for yourself. It's not, you don't have to take my word. It doesn't mean you're not a human being. You never get caught. You know, I've been meditating um, for 37 years and really been very dedicated to it. And it's been utterly transformative in my life. And you know what? You know, 2004 was only three years ago. (laughs) I've been meditating 34 years. Show me a picture of President Bush. So, and actually, I will just say this one last thing and I'll stop. I, I, I meant to say this earlier. I actually did go through a little despair at one point about that. I should know better at this point. 34 years and I'm still, th- th- those places of reactivity are still, ha- you know, you, you go through life. And, and I think most people who know me would say I'm a pretty equanimous kind of a guy. And I, my wife is, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not saying I don't get caught, but, you know, I think I'm doing okay. I'm not making any big claims here. I'm just saying, I'm, you know, you get the practice pays off. But something was revealed that had been hidden that I didn't get a chance to see. Oh, shifted the whole relationship. Rather than when I kind of got out of the despair, it wasn't like, what's it going to take? Do you have to go live in a cave? And, you know, or something? Instead, it was like, and then my wife, was, who was just a really great teacher to me, she just in her loving way pointed out to me that, well, you know, it's just an opportunity to see a place that you hadn't seen before. Shifted my whole perspective. There's nothing, rather than something bad or wrong, I have to judge myself. It was, which I knew this, I just got caught in it again, in judging myself. Oh, yeah. Wow, I, if this place is in me, and as Joseph Goldstein, many of you have heard him say, he, if, if there's places like this in us, we'd rather see it than not see it. So I'm, I'm appreciative to that picture. Uh, I actually picked her one picture in the Quran I can remember of him, whatever. I'm just like, <laughs> I can, and, um, I'm really appreciative of it. 
kind of unmask, and then I could start to work this. Oh, I think I'll just stop here. I have some more for next week on a different topic, but um, we can have some time if anybody wants. Uh, so uh, either about what we've talked about tonight or anything that came up around either questions or if you have anything you want to share or comments. Um, so tonight you mentioned something regarding the self-compassion. Compassion, compen- so sorry about that. Yeah. And um, so it's about like knowing uh, myself, uh, you know what we wish to do, and uh, being loved with myself, right? So um, I quite agree with that. So um, and you also mentioned that um, there are there might be a lot of sufferings in our lives that sometimes is inevitable. And people uh, need to go through that, and uh, probably mindfulness might be one solution to like helping people overcome those kind of things. So uh, that also implies that sometimes uh, some people who are lucky, uh, they might have uh, less suffering but more joy, and the other group of people they might have uh, more sufferings than than joy. So how how do we really you know motivate those people? Know, who, who doesn't really know why they are here and uh, know, the, having the motivation of living on. And also, uh, because, I mean, it seems like the moment that we are born, I mean, it's already quite destiny that we are going to need to face all the sufferings and then we need to learn and put in effort to like, overcome all the uh, problems that we, are, we will be facing in our life. Okay, so, so this is my, my first question. The other second question is that so once, I mean, without knowing the real reason why we are here, so how could we make the decisions for, like, you know, having a new generation, you know, knowing that they, they are going to face the, uh, the problems in the future? So how, I mean, on what basis we, are, we, can, uh, we can justify that we, are, we, are, we can make the decision for them? Uh, because we already know that if you come to this world, they will be suffering and you need to overcome them. And if you are lucky, then everything will be fine. If you are not, then too bad for you. Right. So uh, these are the, uh, the two questions I would like to seek for some uh, advices. Yeah. So I want to make sure I'm clear on so is Your first question, was it about for people who tend to not have much suffering in their life and they seem to, how do you motivate those people? Is that what you were saying? I wasn't, would you, what was your first question again? Oh, for people who have a lot of suffering? Well, I'm not, I'm not, maybe some of you might have some thoughts on that. What all I think about is, is that suffering is, is, is the great motivator, uh, for us. I know for myself, unfortunately, I've tended to be a tough case, and so I need the suffering kind of has to hit me over the head again and again, and then I finally get it. Oh, oh, oh! Don't do that. (laughs) Act, do this one. So I think there's two things. Um, if, if, uh, I think for people who have a lot of suffering, um, there's already a motivation to get some relief. That part, I think, is, is, is clear, if I understand correctly. So then it's just a question of what's needed. And what's needed in every situation is going to be different. So for some people, it may be a relief from suffering kind of in the way we talk about uh, um, in a Dharma sense or in a spiritual sense of freeing the heart and the mind and that, that kind of level. Uh, and really reaching what we would call an, um, an unconditioned, unconditional freedom where we free our hearts and minds and it's not so much about our external conditions. But there's a whole other conditional level for freeing from suffering that's uh, just as important. Um, you know, if, if, um, if there's someone who doesn't have enough food and their electricity is about to be turned off and... Um, everybody's stressed out and yelling and there's crime and, you know, they're living, you know, shootings in their neighborhoods or whatever's going on. Um, it's probably not going to work very well to say to them, um, well, you know, the problem, you're not saying what I'm about to do, I'm, but I'm just, this is me. I know you didn't say this, but uh, you're not going to say to them, well, you know, your problem is um, you need to just free your mind from clinging. It's not, you know, that, that, you know. I don't think you can hear they need food. They need enough clothing. They need safety. That's what's appropriate in that situation in, for that person. Right? So sometimes we need to fix 
the situation the best we can. And if we can't fix it, there's going to be suffering. And other places, it's a different kind of situation. It may be that um, uh, people are, it's more of a spiritual suffering or a, you know, an, an angst or something like that. So I think what's important is having the wisdom, and we may not always know, is to know, uh, f- and this is for ourselves too, for ourselves and others, what's needed. And I think where we get into trouble sometimes, and we all tend to do this, is we think what I really need to do is free my heart and my mind, and I'm busy just change, trying to change the change my situation. There'll be many times where we're taking the wrong action. There'll be other times when it's just the opposite, where I think I'm trying to free my heart and mind, and I I do need to change the situation. I can give you a perfect example. I was... um, uh, I've used this example here many times. uh, It gets the point across so well. I was... uh, uh, when my daughter, she's 26 now, when she turned 17, uh, she sat her first 10-day meditation retreat, so I wanted to sit it with her. And I had injured my neck, and I couldn't meditate, and I was having this, not only was it for about two or three months, it eventually healed up, but it was this uh, nerve pain, if any of you have ever had anything like that, where it was not only the intensity of it, but just the quality of it was radiating. It, it, it was just maddening. I could not be present for this pain. I, I couldn't, and it didn't matter. I could lie down. I could. I couldn't find relief, and pain meds weren't really helping that much. And so this was a long time ago, and I really knew better. But I said I wanted to go. I wouldn't have gone, but I wanted to sit with my daughter. And I said, um, "Okay, fine. I'm just going to go, and I'm going to sit. And whatever experiences arise and pass away, that'll be what it is. And I'll just sit and be present here and meditate with her." So I went to meditate. We sat down to meditate wasn't even close. I just could not do it. It was way too much for me. And I went to talk to one of the teachers and he just said, well, you're taking pain meds, right? We should be lying down. Let's get some ice on that. Let's go back to your, you know, it just wasn't any question about being with it because it passed my limit. So one of the important things is to know for ourselves, at least, and it's for others too, where is our edge? If whatever is going on, physical body sensations, states of the mind, the heart, any experiences, if they're too much for us, if they've gone way past whatever our limit is, there's no should be present. You just can't. It's it's just you're blown away by it. You're crushed by it. You need to bring down the intensity or fix it somehow to get it back within the range where you can work with it. If you don't, there's no should. It's just you're just you're going to suffer. Right. Once. So we need to have the wisdom to know the the flip side of it is there's lots of times when things are well within the range when we could work with it. And we're still reactive and trying to fix it and change it. So one of the skills is knowing which I don't really know if I'm answering your question here, but one of the skills is knowing which side of that edge we're on. And where we, what will happen to us many times is, is that we'll, we'll either be, there, there's certain experiences where it's obvious to, to us either it's way too much, I need to fix it somehow. Or this is difficult and challenging, but you know what? I can work with this. I can find the mindfulness. I can find the awareness. I can be present with this and learn to find the freedom and the peace and the non-clinging and the non-reactivity in the face of this. But there's a gray zone there where we may not know where we stand. And so there will be times when we're using the wrong strategy. That's part of learning to just tune into ourselves and coming to know ourselves better over time. And, and then we'll come to know which is the right strategy for us more and more of the time. I don't know if we'll ever necessarily get it perfect. Um, and the, the image I used last week was... Um, and I've heard that this is true, that when, they're in the, when the, the airline pilots say, when, if any of your pilots here, you may correct me if I'm a little off, but it's something like, you know, they're only exactly on course, you know, going across country. I may be a little off, but something like, you know, 1% of the time. And the rest of the time, they're, they're, they're always making these minor adjustments. They're slightly off. And so it, we don't have to be exactly right on. We just have to be tuning into ourselves the best we can, paying attention the best we can, and then using the tools we have, make the little adjustments the best we can. I think that's also for other people. 
And um, so one other thing also, because I wasn't quite sure, so this may not be what you were saying. There's two different things. Um, one is when we're doing any kind of taking any action in the world that affects others. Whether we're doing social service work, how we're interacting with our families or our coworkers or our neighbors or whatever we're doing. Um, there's knowing what's trying to be as wise as we can about what's skillful. A second thing, and I'm not sure if he said this, but I want to be clear, is how can we inspire or motivate others? I don't know. So I'm not sure if you said that, but I just want to address it anyway. Um, I'm not sure that we can, can necessarily. Right? Right? I think we... we I don't know that I can go out and say to someone, you know, uh, matter of fact, I've failed at this many times. So I've learned for myself as I say, you know, when you're born, what do we, the only thing we know for certain is you're going to die. That's the only thing certainly. And so, you know, have your life and be happy and all that and don't be morose and depressed. But I would hope that, that would in, inform and influence the decisions and what's important in your life. Well, some people might say, wow, yeah. Other people may be like, I don't want to hear that. Right? So, you know, I don't, I don't try to do that with anyone. And if someone wants to ask me something, I'm willing to answer them. But uh, I'm not actually trying to change anyone um, in that way. What I'm trying to do is, so when we come here, we can actually talk about it. And, and you know, people come to groups. So we kind of have permission to say things like, you know, we well, should be more loving and kind and wise and people kind of get it. When we go into, I mentioned that like we're doing this mindfulness in the schools, right? When we go into the schools, I don't, you don't talk like that. All you do is try to bring in little um, exercises that kids can do and they just can get a taste for themselves. Wow, this feels better when I learn to calm down a little bit. I don't tell them how they should be, but like, let's just try something here. Right? I've come into your classroom. You guys have invited me in. So, okay, I'm here for 15 minutes. Let's try it. Take a few breaths. Oh, I feel more calm. Now they've seen from themselves some benefit. Can you say a little bit more about that work? Only, I, I just don't have time right now because we're up against the clock. Uh, if you want to hang back, I can talk to you about it. Um, uh, I'd be happy to. I don't know. I, I gave a little mini, sorry, darn talk. I just don't want to take up too much time, but... Um, I mean, it seems like there are so many uncertainties in, in life and then uh, you no know, resolve like providing guidelines to other people. But uh, I mean, we cannot, uh, I mean, it's pretty certain that there will be a problems uh, that will be faced in, in one person's life. And uh, I mean, without the, the, the clear uh, knowing where, I mean, in the future, what will happen, right? I don't know how we can make the decision to decide, like having a new generation. Uh, For well, but let me ask a question. I'm, I'm get, so I hear, now I hear what you're saying there. You're exactly right. That's really getting to some real fundamental core Dharma teachings around uh, uh, anicca, impermanence, change. Uh, there's an element of, of uncontrollability to things, uncertainty to things, uh, unreliable quality to, to everything. So that's built into the fabric of things. And so uh, that's one of the core teachings is to come to really see how that's true. And then the question is, how do we live in the face of that? And so I think the answer to that is um, that we, we, we don't know the outcome of things. We don't know, but we still know um, are motivated. If we're motivated out of, uh, out of, a, out of a care or an intention or, 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 or an aspiration to relieve suffering for ourselves and for others, then that can inform what are the choices we're making. We can't say what's going to happen for the next generation. But all I know is, is that if we can leave the planet cleaner, less polluted, not use up all the resources, have less wars, not fighting over oil or water or I don't know, whatever, all the different things, I think we have a chance to at least, that's the direction I'd like to head. So let's try to do those things without in the face of, of uncertainty. Sitting in, so this is a real central Dharma topic. I just don't have time, but just, just to say this. 
One way you can think of, it's not the only way, but one way you can think of uh, Vipassana meditation, insight meditation is coming to see very, very clearly the truth of that uncertainty. How deep and just profound it is in us, way deeper than most of us can get. How unreliable things are, moment to moment to moment to really see that, and how insubstantial things are, including all our notions of, of who we are as beings and all of that. That's really what Vipassana is about. And when we really start to get glimpses of that and actually live in the experience of it more and more, the idea is, is then some kind of non-clinging or deeper level of letting go happens. It's kind of a relaxing back into that happens. Because we see we can't control and there isn't anything to hold on to and cling to. And it's out of that place of a deep, just relaxing into, it's really a deep trust, just in, we kind of rest in the changing flow of life. It's kind of the cliche, go with the flow, but really get it in a deep way. And then from that place of relaxation, take our action. That's... um, I think that's really what one way to talk about all the Dharma teachings. And then it's just what are tools and techniques to help us deepen into that realization of exactly what you're talking about. That's the best I can I know to say it. We're, we're out of time. Yeah. Uh, so we have to stop. So here's what I would like to do. Um, it's exactly nine o'clock. This is going to be the shortest loving kindness ending ever. <laughs> and I want to, so we're going to go like to 901 or 902. But I know for some of you have to leave, so please don't feel funny or weird about it. If you even can't stay the two minutes, just go. I mean, it's fine because we are up against the time. And, and I apologize for, uh, I just let it get away from me, which I, I apologize. For those of you who want to stick around, two minutes. What I would invite you to do is, uh, first, is just if your awareness has gone out into the room or out into the realm of the concepts and the discussion, if that's happened for you, bring your mindfulness back inside yourself. Connecting in with your body. Just notice what's there. We're doing this very fast. States of the heart and the mind. And just to see what's there in your experience. So bringing the mindfulness right back into yourself. Nothing fancy, just, just feeling in. And then I would invite you to notice how are you being with your experience? How are you relating with what's going on? What you found when you checked in with yourself? See if there can be that sense of allowing or that self-acceptance or that self-compassion just for whatever is there for you, even if it's Not easy. Just the best you can. That is a great place. You know, that self-acceptance is a great place of, of kindness and love and compassion for ourselves. Just that. And then finally, let us just, we'll just do a simple offer up uh, what's called dedication of merit. And it's simply an acknowledgement that um, any time we uh, cultivate these wholesome qualities in ourselves, and we've all come here this evening to, excuse me, to meditate, to hear a Dharma talk, to reflect on these Dharma teachings, um, that's part of cultivating these qualities in ourselves. And so it's a great benefit to ourselves and also a great benefit to others. And to know that, in fact, it's, it's literally not possible to practice for ourselves alone. It's simply not possible. And so we make that more conscious. We offer up if there's been any good qualities, wholesome qualities, what we say, any merit that's come about by our time together this evening. Let us offer it up. Um, may it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. May all beings... Everywhere, um, be happy and peaceful.
May all beings everywhere come to a complete end of suffering. So thank you all for your practice this evening.